My family parrot flew into a fire. One teacher recounts this epic excuse a student gave to her for not getting his homework done. She said, one kid told me his parrot flew onto the fireplace and caught on fire. It then proceeded to fly around the sitting room and the dad tried to hit it with a frying pan because he was afraid the curtains would go up in flames if the parrot went too close to them. The dad hid it into the kitchen and then grabbed it and threw it under a tarp because you have to throw a parrot under a tarp if it's on fire. He then said with all the drama, he'd forgotten to do his homework. Of course, the teacher says I let him off because it was the most creative story he'd come up with all year. We all have at one time or another used excuses in our lives. Excuses is the theme of the text I want to share with you today. So turn in the scriptures with me to Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. In Exodus chapter 3 and 4, God is beginning to put into action his plan to rescue his people from Egypt. His plan is to use a guy by the name of Moses. At this time, Moses is a shepherd in the land of Midian. To understand where we're going to spend our time today, we, we need to know a little backstory on Moses. Moses was born in the land of Egypt during the time when Pharaoh, out of fear, was having Hebrew baby boys killed because the Hebrew people were growing too fast. When Moses was born, his mom, knowing that she probably couldn't keep him at home because the midwives would come and kill him, decides to put him in a basket on a river. God providentially allows Pharaoh's daughter to be there and to see Moses and Moses to find favor in her eyes. And Moses ends up going back to his mom to be raised till he's about 10 years old. And then he goes to Pharaoh's house and he's raised in Pharaoh's house. As he's raised in Pharaoh's house, Moses knows he's not an Egyptian, that he belongs with the Hebrew people. And you know the story. One day he's out and he sees an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite and Moses kills the Egyptian and hides him in the sand. The next day he's out there amongst the people again and two Israelites are fighting with each other and Moses steps in and is going to stop it. And they say, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And Moses at that time knows the word is out and he flees to the wilderness and for the next 40 years he's keeping sheep in the wilderness. And that leads us to our text today. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24 and 25 ends in this way as we're getting closer to God initiating this plan with Moses. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24 says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. In Exodus chapter 3 and verses 1 through 10, God appears to Moses in a burning bush while he's watching the sheep. And the goal of this interaction is found in verse 10 of chapter 3 when he says, Come, I will send you, this is God talking to Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God is initiating his plan to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt, and God is calling Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. So what we expect from the text is that when we read chapter 3 and verse 10, that the Lord says to Moses, come, 
I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. The next verse that we expect to read is really chapter 4 and verse 18. And it says this, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. That's what we would think the next verse should be. But we have Exodus chapter 3 verses 11 through chapter 4 and verse 17, where Moses and God have this dialogue with each other. I want to read this whole portion of Scripture, so it's going to take us a quick minute, but as we read it, I want you to listen to the outline. Moses is going to speak, God's going to speak. Moses is going to speak, God's going to speak. And I want you to listen for the excuses that Moses is going to use for the reason that he can't do what God has called him to do. Let's begin reading. And again, I'm going to go from chapter 3, verse 11, to chapter 4, verse 17. So stay with me. Stay focused. All right, let's look for the excuses that Moses would use. Here's where it begins, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, God, I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you, for I have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give his people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of his neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters And so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And Moses says, A staff. And he says, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. Can I get a witness in the room today, right? Like I can relate to Moses in that way. You throw, see a serpent, you don't go towards it, you run from it. I I feel Moses in this moment. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Not a good place to grab a snake, 
but he does it. So he puts out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that he may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put it inside of his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, the hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put it back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. They will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign. Then they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even the two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and you'll pour it out on the dry ground and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses says to the Lord, and listen to the different words that he begins to use here. He says, oh my Lord. This is a term of authority. Moses, I think in this moment, is beginning to understand that maybe he's overcooking his grits, right? That maybe at this moment, he's got to understand who he is talking to. And he says, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, again, he knows it. Please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you both what to do. And you shall speak for you, and he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as a God to him, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring Moses to write this part of your story into the book of Exodus. I pray that you would give us open hearts, open minds, and open ears to your word. Speak to us in a powerful way through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We find in this section of scripture that Moses gives us five excuses for why he can't do what God has called him to do. You saw the excuses as you were following along with me. In chapter 3, in verse 11, Moses uses the excuse, I'm not fit. Who am I? Moses is saying to God, I'm not good enough to do what you've called me to do. In chapter 3 and verse 13, Moses uses his second excuse when he says to God, I'm not smart enough. What what am I going to say to them? What what am I going to say your name is? I'm not going to know what to say when they ask. In the third excuse found in chapter 4 and verse 1, Moses says, I'm not going to be effective They're not going to believe me. I'm sure at that moment, Moses' mind is going back to the situation that happened when he killed the Egyptian. And when he goes back like he was already before the people, and they're like, ah, we're not going to follow you, that that's going to happen again. So he's not going to be effective in leading the people out of Egypt. Chapter 4 and verse 10, Moses uses his fourth excuse, and he says, I'm not gifted. I'm not eloquent in speech. The idea is he had a heavy tongue. The idea would be that he he talks when he talks in front of people, his tongue gets tied. 
Then the fifth excuse Moses says, and finally you get to the heart of it. He says, I'm not willing. Send someone else. If you've ever counseled people, you know when you counsel them, you do marriage counseling, you got to work through a lot of excuses to get to the heart. And a lot of times as you're helping people along in their journey, you get to the part where it's just finally like you're just not willing to do the work. You're not willing to invest in your marriage. So finally, we get to the heart of Moses here, and he just says, I'm not willing to do what God, what you're calling me to do. If Moses is the main character of the story of Exodus, we are pretty discouraged at this point because he thinks he is insufficient to do the task that God has called him to do. He has just given God excuse after excuse for why he can't lead the people into Egypt. But what we must remember is that the main character of Exodus is not Moses. The main character of Exodus is God. And we focus our attention on what God says to Moses' excuses. When God inspired Moses to write this section of Scripture, he didn't have Moses skip over this part of his story because he wanted us to see who he is and understand how God uses people in spite of their excuses. So I want us to go back through the text now and look at God's responses to Moses' excuses. So Moses says in chapter 3 and verse 11, I'm not fit. I'm not good enough. And listen to God's response to him in verse 13 or verse 12. He said, but I will be with you. He reminds Moses of his presence with him. God is immediately taking the focus off of Moses and putting it on himself. He's saying, Moses, it's not about What you bring to the table, it's about the fact that I'm at the table with you. It's not about who you are, it's about who I am. When I think about what God has called and commissioned us to do in Matthew 28, 19, to go and make disciples of all nations, the great commission, sometimes we miss that God's given us a great promise in there. And what is the great promise? That's found in verse 20, where he says, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God's promises, his presence with us as we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Listen, if you believe that you are not good enough for the task, remember, God is with you. The second excuse Moses said is, I'm not smart enough. And God replies to him in Exodus chapter 3 in verse 14, when he says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me. To ask someone what is his name is to say, what sort of God is he? What revelation can you give us about him? Can he live up to what you're saying he is going to do? And God says to Moses, tell him, I am who I am. We know this to be Yahweh. It is the personal covenant name of God. And my, he is saying, God is saying to Moses, my name is, I have always been who I've always been. I be who I be, and I will be who I will be. His name is eternal. It has no beginning or ending. His name is self-existent. He doesn't need any, doesn't need to add anything to it. His name is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anyone or anything. That's all wrapped up in Yahweh, I am. 
The Westminster Confession of Faith says, God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he hath made. When God calls you to follow him and take up the task of making disciples of all nations, it's not about your name, it's about his name. The psalmist got this in Psalms 115 and verse 1 when he said, Not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. If you believe you're not smart enough for the task, you won't have the answers for the questions people will ask. Remember God's name. The third excuse Moses says is, I'm not effective. What if they don't believe me? And in chapter 4 and verse 2, God says, I'll do the work. He shows Moses his power. God shows Moses his effectiveness doesn't come from his ability, but from God's ability or work. He gives Moses three signs, and we read those three signs. The one with the staff, the one with his hand, and eventually the blood. He, he's using all of these signs to show Moses that it's not about how powerful he is. It's about how powerful God is. God has power over all creation. There is nothing or no one more powerful than God. I think of the words of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. He is reminding Moses that the power comes from him. I think about Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, where he speaks to the power that comes through Jesus Christ and his death. He says, I, Paul speaking, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. Paul reminds us that our power comes through Jesus and him crucified. If you believe you are not going to be effective in the task, remember God's power. The fourth excuse Moses says is, I'm not gifted. I'm not going to be eloquent in speech. And God says to him, I will help you. If, if you look at the text there in verse 11, the Lord says to him, who has made your mouth? These are rhetorical questions that God is asking Moses. And the rhetorical question is, well, God made his mouth. God is making the point to Moses, if I made it, I'm going to take care of it. Moses felt weak, but God has the ability, and you know this, to take our weaknesses and make us strong. We see this in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, where Paul is talking about this thorn in the side that he has. He's asking the Lord to remove the thorn in his side. And what does the Lord come to him and say, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If you believe you're not gifted enough for the task, remember, God helps. 
is there. He will be strong in your weakness. The fifth excuse that Moses uses is the heart of the excuse, I'm not willing, send someone else. And I love what God does for him, even though the Lord was a little bit upset with him. God provides for Moses. God gives Moses a spokesman named Aaron. Isn't God gracious to provide for Moses even though he did not desire it? Provides him with Aaron. It reminds me of what Jesus did for us in our salvation. I think about Paul's words in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, where he says, Since while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you go down to verse 10, he says, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. While we were not going after Christ, he was pursuing, God was pursuing us through Christ. You know, the old chasm thing, the idea is that we were on the other side and that we weren't looking towards God. We were looking away from God and doing our own thing. We were enemies. We were weak. We were far from God. But God in his graciousness provided Jesus for us. And if God provided for your and I salvation, don't you think God will provide for us in the task he's called us to do? See, God didn't allow Moses to skip this part of his story because he wanted us to see this. Moses didn't need to think more highly of himself. He needed to think more highly of his God. Moses didn't need to think more highly of himself. If you go through those excuses, God never comes back to Moses and said, listen, buddy, you're good enough. You're talented enough. You got it in you. You can do this. No, what is he promising? He promises him his presence, his name, his power, right? His help, his provision. He promises him himself. God never promises to take away Moses' insecurities. He does something so much better. He promises Moses himself. College student, seminary student, God has you at this institution preparing for the task that he has set before you to make disciples of all nations. And he has you at this institution not so that you can think more highly of yourself. He has you at this institution so that you can think more highly of your God. Professors, administrators, God has you leading in this institution Not so students will walk away thinking more highly of themselves. No, he has put you at this institution to help students think more highly of their God. So that when they leave this place to do the task that God has called them to do, and when they got the excuses, they're going to think of God rather than themselves. One of my favorite hymns from growing up is Turn Your Eyes upon Jesus. I didn't know this, but as I did research on it, I found out that this 
him was based off the life of a missionary by the name of Lilas Trotter. She was an up-and-coming artist in London when God began to lead her to take the gospel to the unreached in North Africa. She had every excuse possible to not go. She was just starting her career. She was a single woman, a woman, and many missions agencies wouldn't take her. In fact, she couldn't find a missions agency to take her. So she just decided, I'm going to go on my own. She didn't use excuses. She knew God's presence, God's name, God's power, God's help, and God's provision was with her. And she went and gave her life in North Africa for 40 years. And she wrote a poem called, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. The writer of this hymn, Helen H. Limmel, wrote this song based off her poem. Listen to the second verse in the chorus. His words shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to the world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things, excuses of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, thank you for your word and for inspiring Moses to put this part of his story into the book of Exodus so that we can turn our eyes to you. We can see your presence, your name, your power, your help, your provision. And I pray, Lord, that you would help each student in this room to turn their eyes to you. May they walk away from this institution thinking more highly of you than they think of themselves. I pray for each professor and administrator in this room and listening online. I ask, Lord, that you would help them as they lead this institution to lead the students to walk away not thinking more highly of themselves. They would lead them to walk away thinking more highly of you. We love you, Lord. It is an honor to serve you. Thank you for calling us to make disciples of all nations. May we be true to our calling. In Jesus' name, amen.